All right, everybody, welcome to the Joe Kilgallen podcast, aka Kilgallen's Pub. Very pumped up for today's episode. But as always, I would like to start off by thanking you, the listeners, for subscribing and telling all your friends about this great podcast. Special shout out to all the YouTube subscribers and the Patreon subscribers. Really appreciate you guys so much um, during these crazy times right now because I, I mentioned it, I believe. No, I haven't mentioned it yet, everyone, but here's a little quick, quick little news, 30 seconds before I bring on our guest. My wife and both of my sons currently have COVID, and my wife is one of the first people in the state of Illinois to have been vaccinated because she's a nurse, And um, but again, very mild symptoms. It was didn't hit her hard at all, didn't hit the boys hard, which was nice, a little fever and some stomach ailments, which is pretty common in kids. They get like belly aches, a little cough, but both of them and my wife are all doing great now. We got a couple more days of, you know, CDC uh, guidelines to follow, being locked down and all that. But anyway, I just want to thank everybody uh, for being really cool, uh, especially the Patreon subscribers. You guys have been amazing. Now, without further ado, the guest on this podcast, one of my favorite comedians of all time. I hope I'm not making him blush. And uh, he's a writer on Real Time with Bill Maher. He's had his own Comedy Central half hour. He's got two of my favorite late night appearances of all time on Jimmy Fallon and on Conan. Without further ado, let's bring on the one and only Nick Vatterat. Hi, it's Nick Vatter. I tell you, you really need to see some more comedians. I've been telling you this the whole time. <laughs> There's a great scene in Chicago. You should go around. Check them out. They're, they're no, all Nick. You got a special place in my heart, bud. <laughs> I was actually on the very last podcast I did. I had a friend of yours, enemy of mine, Adam Burke, as a guest. I, I hate that piece of shit. You guys are enemies? Yeah, I ha- he doesn't like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I'm still, he thinks I've forgiven him for that, but I have not. <laughs> so, anyway. I, I, you go to school. You're you're an education guy. I am, yeah, no, exactly. Well, he's, you know what, he immigrated to the United States at around that time, so I think he thought of Ferris as being this cool American and this, like, role model in which he can never obtain that kind of cool, and it just intimidated him when he came over. What what is your big issue with Ferris Bueller? It's been a while since I've seen it. No, I love it. He has an issue with it. Oh, 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 oh. What is his issue? His issue is that Ferris is a dick because he like bullies his friend into going out and having a great time. But I'm pretty sure a good friend of ours, Sean Flannery, butted in when we had this big argument about a year and a half ago, saying, if anything, Cameron, he gave Cameron the greatest story ever. Cameron's some adult out there now in the world going, hey, I got this buddy Ferris in high school. You wouldn't believe this shit we did back then. You know, and Ferris offered to take the blame for the Ferrari getting destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, that's your, yeah. But I I understand. I do hate, I do like a character that, the, the character either can't be cool or they can't know that they're cool. Or... They can be cool, but never talk about their cool. I don't know. I understand. I understand it, but um, but yeah, I th- he was like um, yeah. I I always I always loved that. Uh, I love that character. It's he, a fun he, movie. Talking to the camera. I mean, I guess Woody Allen did it before him, but uh, I'd never really seen that before as a child. I didn't know. I thought he was talking to me. I tried to find him. I left my house when I was eight years old. I was like, that guy's trying to talk to me. I got I got to talk back to him. <laughs> So I went on a, you know, boy, I wouldn't mind it. My, I took a whole year off looking for that guy. Turns out that was an alias. His real name is, uh, well, what's his real name? Is, is, uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew Justin, Justin Parker. Parker. That's right. 
All these actors, that's, they always use their alias when they go on the movies. You know, They don't want you to know that's them up there, but I can tell. Yeah, you can tell. You're a smart guy. So, Nick, we talked about how you had our favorite late night appearances not to again, not to blow smoke up your ass or kiss that that beautiful buddy of yours, but we were basically talking about how the the late night set could be weird for a lot of comedians because mm-hmm. Conan has announced he's kind of ditching his traditional format. I guess late night ratings are down. And look, as a, I root for anything that helps comedians, so I'm not like happy that late night's not doing well. But it is seems like an outdated way for a comedian to reach an audience because it's always like not always, but with a lot of comedians, it's like a watered down version of themselves. But you, on both Fallon and Conan, did something so unique that you made it where I'm like, that's what a late night set should be. Make an impression to the point where people are talking about the next day at work. And, um, dude, what what was going through your head when you first got booked for Fallon and you were like, I'm going to try it. And by the way, everyone, pause this right now. Go on YouTube and type in Nick Vatterat, Jimmy Fallon, because it's a phenomenal set. Nick does a really cool thing where he pretends I'm, I'm giving it away again i don't know what damn it just pause go watch it and then come back that way i'm not spoiler alert anyone but you do a thing where you pretend you forgot your last joke the audience right. bought it yeah they were great they um you know yeah i a, uh i had auditioned with that bit that was the bit that i got into montreal comedy festival with and so i uh was able to run around and do that in a couple different places. I used to do it at the elevated. I used to do that bit like once a year. Uh, do you remember the elevated um, Kane Collier? Yeah, that was starting. Or that was fading right around the time I was starting, sadly fading. And then it became like a bar called the mix or something like that. And then they moved it to cherry red or some. I, I can't remember. I was talking about this with a friend of ours. Yeah. I was talking about this with Mark Geary actually not that long ago about like the history of Chicago comedy and our friend, Mike Bryanstein's doing this great thing on his Patreon where he's breaking down like this Chicago comedy from like 1998 to 2007 or something like that. And the elevated a big piece of that. It is so funny when, when you get to a scene, I was thinking about this when you get, when you get to like, when I got to Chicago, I just assumed you know, like everything that happened, it's like picturing your parents before you were born. Like it blows your mind. They had this whole life, yeah. you know, that, that, that even their that life existed for them before you, you came around. And then comedy, it's just, it's, you know, like everything that happened in Chicago before I got here is like the thing of lore. You know, I would hear about these, uh, the coily tip coiling tippling house and, um, uh, which when I got there, that was, there was the last couple breaths of that before that like went away and then like i guess something called like the red lion that yeah. was like a big thing and then um a midnight bible school and, and Dwayne kennedy you know and all these like uh guys that were like the you know people before i got there it's just that's all just like you know um lord of the rings to me i i have a you know i have like this fantastical thought of what it was all like in my head but i was not there for it and then when you get there you just assume that everybody who was there at the time has been there forever. You know, like I remember, I remember getting there and just looking around and, you know, cause I went to the lion's den. That was like the first time I was like, that was like my first open mic, I think in Chicago. And I walked in and it was just, everybody it was the whole, the whole scene, you know, they, they put up a hundred, you know, or 50, 60 people in a night and uh, it would go all night long. But I just assumed that everybody there was like, had been doing comedy for years. You know, and I remember like living with Jared Logan later in life, you know, probably about 
10 years after this happened. And I found out that he had, he'd moved there like a week before me, you know, <laughs> but I thought he was this guy. I think I was like asking him advice, you know, like I just thought that all these people had been around forever. You don't realize that everybody's just kind of, some people been there for a couple of years, some been there for a couple of weeks. Um, and then I remember like, uh, I remember going to see a, a main stage show at second city and, um, I uh, was looking at the, the, the with the playbill of, of of all the actors, and Deb Downing was a main stage a person up there, and uh, I was reading her bio, and she says one of her favorite places was the Alternative Comedy Stand Up Comedy Club, uh, it, um, whatever I just said. The elevated. <laughs> elevated, yeah. I was go. like, I gotta check out this Alternative Comedy. This sounds great. And uh, I, I and then the first time I ever got booked on it, or one of the first times, I was like, I got to come up with an alternative comedy bit. So that was sort of like why I came up with that whole bit that I did on Fallon years beforehand. And because uh, you know, um, John Roy just wrote this like really cool piece about uh, the set, and we, we talked about old Chicago stuff and and how like we just guessed at what alternative comedy was we had no idea like we had this idea we're like i wonder what they're doing in new york well let's just try to guess what they're doing you know and so yeah. we like you know a lot of we all were all just trying whatever and then we got up to new york and then realized that alternative comedy was just leaning against the wall and and, and not knowing your material yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's very new york well, it was funny to me because when I started too, I felt the same way you did where I just, this whole world was crazy and all the stories you had heard. And in my first year or two, I was telling some young Chicago comedians, uh, I was at the Laugh Factory like a couple weeks ago. And, you know, there's people in like their mid twenties now, which is weird being, you know, the ages we are now going like, oh God, we were once that age. I was telling them, I'm like the comics I was starting out with are like not starting out with, but who were like the top dogs of the Chicago comedy scene are all like wildly some of the one's going to be in a Marvel movie in a few months, you know, <laughs> like TJ Miller's been in movies, Hannibal's in movies, Kumail's in movies. You know what I mean? You write for real time with Bill Maher and have done a bunch of insanely fun shit. Like everyone, it seems like a, such a great class that you were a part of. And I think it was like that freedom that Chicago had to be like, we'll try whatever we'll do whatever. Uh, but to me, alt comedy was always just like a lot of this plays in clubs, but you guys are just, I don't know, dress poorly. I don't really know. A lot of, it didn't always seem all that alt to me. Yeah. I, I often thought that like alternative comedy was just prop comedy. Yeah. And in, in, in like hipster clothing or something, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 when did you move to Chicago? Well, when did was, you start doing comedy? I started doing st stand up like uh, end of 06. I didn't really start fully doing it until like 07 when I was going to mics and stuff. I remember right. hearing a great story with you guys because I I ended up, I had a car. So I remember you were probably drunk. You and Brady and like CJ and Flannery hopped into my car. I had a minivan. And so we, so we a, went to the diner? Yes. We went to Diner Grill. And uh, <laughs> they were telling me a hilarious story about Flannery, or you lost your cell phone or you left your phone with them. And they were so drunk. <laughs> They were like, Flannery's like, oh, I got Vaderat's phone. Oh, well, shit, someone should call him and let him know. <laughs> and then they fucking called. And then the phone starts ringing. And they're like, oh, we're fucking morons. Of course he can't answer. I have his phone. And uh, it just cracked me up. Anyway, and you had his number. Or no, you had every name saved in your phone 
in like a silly way. Like, oh, yeah. Sean, yeah. yeah, like Flannery. So, <laughs> so listener, Sean Flannery's been on my podcast before. You got to feel way back when, but he kind of has an accent where he stretches out like, like Sean Flannery. Flannery <laughs> and you wrote Sean Flannery. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you were planning with like 19 A's or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I finally had to stop doing that because people called me and I was like, <laughs> you know, who's who's barbecue balls or, you know, like <laughs> it was always like a in that whatever I thought was funny in that moment to put their phone in. It's whatever I did. And then, yeah, I just had too many calls and I was like, I don't know who I don't know how to find people on my phone. I don't know uh, what they're. Yeah. Who this person is calling. I wish I had, you know, everything is like so over-documented right now. Every, you know, people just take pictures of every meal they have. And I have no, my, my Chicago memories. I feel like I got about, I got about 17. That's it. (laughs) You know, like I would love to remember this forgot the the cell phone story. I'm sure that was a huge ordeal for me. I I bet I went out with, uh, with, without my phone for a week back then and had, and had lived this life and didn't know if I'd ever see it again and thought about moving back to St. Louis just because I lost my phone. There was probably a whole, I probably did 10 minutes about it on stage. I don't even remember it now. I, I, I wish I wrote down more stuff or I just, I only wrote down jokes. I would, you know, I never, there was no Twitter to kind of go back and research and stuff. I guess I couldn't the- even log into my MySpace if I, you know, I think the page exists, but I don't know the login. Yeah, that was like I, the only I thing we had. I tried to look a few years ago. It is. I don't know what it is now. It's like a dance club now or something. Someone made a funny point about Tom from MySpace where it's like, he just wanted to be your friend. He wasn't <laughs> trying to tear down democracy with all sorts of propaganda. <laughs> nice guy. Could you imagine Tom from MySpace uh, in, in Congress, <laughs> you know, with his t-shirt and his thumbs up sign, you know? Yeah, I don't know what these Russians are doing. <laughs> this is news to me. <laughs> Tom, what are you what are you doing? Uh, where are you passing along this information on our top seven friends? Who are, are you telling China who our top seven friends are? Oh yeah. man, I talked about that with friend of ours Renee Gautier a couple podcasts ago about that top eight being serious. Like, <laughs> for those you young listeners, you well, do you remember? Yeah. So for for the younger listeners, there was a top eight on uh, MySpace where if you went to my, MySpace was kind of cool because it taught you like coding in a way, and you could pick like who your favorite people were and it was a big deal. If you got pushed out of that top eight or top 12, you could even do sometimes. You don't remember this? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, nowadays that was before they knew they could do algorithms, you know, to sort of do all this work for you. Um, And then you could self hate yourself because you, you know, (laughs) nobody has any of our control over it, but yeah, I don't, uh, man, that is that was such a weird world back then. I remember like doing MySpace because, yes, yeah, somebody at some Chicago show afterwards was like, "Dude, you need a website, mate. MySpace is like a website, and you can just have a website." I was like, "Well, I need a website. This is perfect." And then everybody did Facebook, and I was like, "Well, this isn't a website. This is I don't like this." And then <laughs> Facebook took off. Now, but now we're all- discovering that we don't need any of that. I mean, you don't need Facebook anymore. There's plenty of there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's all sorts of stuff. And then there's the good old fashioned, like, just be really good and people are going to find you, hopefully. Uh, but I did want to ask, so Fallon knew you were going to do the whole, I forgot my last joke bit. He knew it going in. Yeah. So, you know, I uh, I went to the Gotham Comedy Club. I used to do live at Gotham. 
good comedy club up there in New York City. And um, uh, they had auditions, a showcase, I guess. So I did it. I did it there. I did the bit there. And then I found out that Fallon came in and watched like right before the show started. He snuck in and saw the whole thing, which I, I didn't know that he was there. And uh, it went well there. I got put on a short list, and then a couple of months went by. I got a call, and got to got to go in. Uh, so, but he played it. You know, he was he was great about it. You know, like you know, you're backstage. You, you know, it's it's like I, it was the I went bungee jumping once, and it felt very close to bungee jumping, where a guy's like kind of holding me back. He's got his hand on my chest, just being like, "Okay, I'm gonna count." You know, and, and then. He's like, all right, three, two. And he's like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, give it up for your nice performer. And then all of a sudden, Fallon goes, stop, stop, wait, 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 wait. He goes out to the audience. And I, I'm like, ah, you know, I thought I was about to go out there. My mind was about to go out there. I kind of was relieved I didn't have to go out there. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, right away. And then he tells the audience, hey, if you guys could be just the best audience in the world for this person, I'd really appreciate it. It's the first time on TV. And then the audience was just, he just really set me up very well and uh it was a pretty and the audience was awesome so yeah i couldn't 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 ask for a, a better experience it was pretty pretty fun yeah no it's amazing and the audience was with you from jump street i just love like the the idea of throwing an audience a curveball in such a short set because it's a big gamble you know and you committed to it and it paid off beautifully yeah, I mean the story, like the like the other the other part of this was that like I had auditioned for Montreal Comedy Festival a bunch of times, and I always put together what I thought were my best, you know, five minutes, six minutes of material, you know, the stuff I would, if I was auditioning at Zanies or you know a comedy mainstream comedy club, the stuff that I would do, you know, uh, dating joke, uh, restaurant joke, you know, just hey, I'm ugly, let's laugh at my face, you know, that type of stuff. And, um, and then I like never got it. You know, I always felt I did well, but I never got it. And I was like, well, you know what, if I'm not going to get it this time, I'd rather get it with a bit that I like to do rather than doing a bit that I think they want. And then that, that was, that was the, that was when I got the, uh, you know, I did, I did the, the set list thing that time. And that's when Montreal, you know, pulled the trigger on me. And then, you know, all this stuff happened after that leading up to found and stuff. Well, that's great advice to any young comedians listening. Do the shit you'd want to do. I kind of figured that out too. You know, I've auditioned for Montreal Bunch. Nothing yet. Uh, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I, I don't really care at this point. But I then learned, because at first I used to do that same thing too. I'm like, what are they looking for? What do they want? What's yeah. in right now? How do I stand out? All this stuff. At the end of the day, I think you just want to set that you're like, I like that set. That's the yeah. set I wanted to do instead of what you think they might want to do. I mean, you fail on your own terms. That's what I say. I, I think some people I think it's pessimistic, but I'm like, okay, if this is going to go wrong, which wrong version do I want to have? You know, yeah. which of the two letdowns? The letdown because I did what everybody thought I should, you know, or, or I, I'd rather let myself down than do what I thought everybody else, you know, said. I agree. I, I fell into that trap for a stretch there where I was trying, you know what it was when I was living in Los Angeles. I think the year, maybe my second year in LA, because my first year in LA, I was just kind of going with things. And um, and I miss LA. I liked LA a lot. I didn't move because I hated the city or the scene or anything like that. I just thought it was the best move for my family and for comedy for me to be able to like, you know, go back. Uh, I need like a reset. I wanted to be able to go up every night and just worry about stand up and not all the other bullshit that you could get clouded with in LA a little bit. And having a baby obviously helped coming back home. But 
one thing I did that was so stupid for a stretch was that I was trying to do that opening joke that you see on a late night spot. So many late night openers, not you though, Nick, but so many of them have that joke where it's like, I'm, my name is this. Isn't that a stupid name? Or I look like this guy, or, you know, I'm half this and half that. It's always that introductory joke. Uh, like a good friend of mine, Megan Gailey, she wouldn't mind me saying this, but her opening joke was about how Megan is a dumb white girl name. Uh, that comedian <laughs> Ian Carmel, and these are good comedians. I'm not knocking them, but Ian Carmel has a joke about how he's, it sounds like a British chocolate thief or something. And uh, it's, you know, all of these, uh, John Roy, who you mentioned earlier, hilarious dude. He made yeah. a joke about how he's in his forties and he wears like zip up hoodies. Like he's 12. Um, obviously if he didn't wear it that night, that joke would have bombed, but you know, um, <laughs> And I love John. It's a, and he's he's tremendous. I'll, so I'm not knocking any of these comedians, but I realized about myself, I didn't have one of those jokes. And then I was trying to force it. And I'm like, that's just not my style. So then eventually I'm just like, oh, who cares? I don't want to do something that's not me on national television anyway. I think um, I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stand up comedy that I feel we do you know, that we do it because we see other people do it and we think that that's how it's supposed to be done. As opposed to, this is what I think it, sh it should be, you know, or could be, you know. I, I also like the idea of like, what what is the comedian that you see yourself being in the future? Be that comedian now. Yeah. Sometimes people are like, well, one day I'm going to be this, this, and it's like, well, what are you waiting for? Do Do it now. You know, are you always going to be, you know, I, I think I have, um, gosh, you just made me think of that. Of, I know I had a, a version of that at one point uh, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I had some name about that. Well, the vet and so in St. Louis, I have one. It's I'm Nick Vatterot. Um, a lot of people say uh, Vatterot, what kind of name is that? It's actually German uh, for technical college. <laughs> which uh, if you live in St. Louis, you see the commercials for the technical college on. That's like the DeVry of St. Louis, you know, it's like perfect to do in St. Louis. And then, so when you have a joke like that about your name that like gets you on the right foot with everybody right away or about your face or about whatever it is, it's, it's grease and it's grease in the wheel. You know, you kind of, it's, it's, it's a little cheap. Because you kind of need to cheat a little bit, or you need to. It is so hard to get them. That was one thing I got from the Brian. One of the biggest uh, influences in my comedy is Brian Regan's album. You know where he says um, he's great. Uh, his first album, or not the first. I don't know if it's the first, but he says his first joke on the album is the U two joke. You know, he's like he's at the airport. The guy says, "Have a nice flight." have a nice flight. He says, you too. Yeah. That's it's right. the funniest joke on the whole album. And he does it first. And I was like, Oh yeah. Why would you save your best joke for the end? I always, always like to save your best joke for your closer. No, save your best joke for the beginning. Get them on board, you know, cause it's harder to, it's so much harder to win them back than it is to lose them once you already have them. Um, well, a lot of my it's see, I think I, I agree with that. I, I definitely agree with that. But I've noticed there's a weird thing lately with some specials. I'll watch some specials here and there. I don't watch a ton, but I noticed the special ends and I'm just like, oh, you just kind of ended. I definitely think open strong as hell, but sometimes it's like, I, I, I miss it when I, you know, I used to listen to Richard Pryor and Carlin growing up and, and so yeah. many greats. And it felt like 
they they built to like a crescendo where you can you kind of felt like at any minute now the audience is dying everyone's going insane they were just going to say i'm joe kilgown thanks everyone have a good night and then you know ah, everyone goes nuts. like i loved that that build up and i watched some and i'm like oh they they just said good night there was no that last joke had the feel of a joke 20 minutes in as opposed to 55 or 60 minutes in. So that part of it's a little bit, but I agree with you. Punch him in the face right away. Grab him instantly. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. That Brian Regan album is that guy. So underrated. Um, and actually I not even really underrated, but I respect the hell out of him because he's, he sells out theaters and has been for a long time without having like major industry push. I mean, even Gaffigan, I feel, has a little bit more um, outside of stand-up media under his belt that has helped him. I mean, Regan, I feel, you know, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, most people like had their own TV show or had their own whatever big thing, even if it was, you know, a podcast or or whatever. Regan's had just his stand-up. It's all he's sort of like, I mean, his last special was like, maybe his best i don't know it was so good it just he's a guy who just keeps getting better um it's absolutely amazing um yeah it is very respectful um it's, isn't it make you i like bringing this up to comedians because it always makes me smile when i think about it that we are in a like medium i guess or an art form whatever. I, I don't like calling it an art form because it's, it sounds too serious. You know, and I'm not a serious guy like that when it talks about comedy, but the beautiful thing about comedy as opposed to music is our prime is like our f- mid forties to late fifties. I feel like my favorite comedians and some of their best work, they were old or older. You know what I mean? Like right. Brian Regan's gotta be close to 60 and he's still putting out amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Carlin, um, I mean, yeah, I just, the people that kept doing it, some people quit, you know. But yeah, but like in music though, I feel like every, all of our favorite bands or artists, their best stuff was like in their early to mid twenties. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I've tried to talk about that with people and people get weird about it. I don't know. It is weird. Like, you know, I just, I'm just more interested. Why, what is it? Is it, is it that when you're in your twenties, you have the drive that you need to succeed and that pushes you? You know, it's just, uh, or, I, I it could be, or and then comedy people are writing comedy for the rest of their life. I don't know why people write so many songs and they're younger and then they don't write as many when they're older. The comedians write jokes the whole time. It must be something to do with, I know music is supposed to be this one thing that it's like the only thing that affects both sides of your brain. So there's definitely something there that I'm not smart enough or have the knowledge to really dive into. But you're right, man. Like Paul McCartney, one of the greatest songwriters of all time, he released an album about six months ago. Yeah. And I listened to the first couple tracks and it was fine. Yeah. But obviously, how insane would that be if Paul McCartney at 80 released an album and everyone's like, guys, better better song, better than yesterday, better than like, hey, Jude. I mean, let it be is dog shit compared to all the tracks he's got on this latest album. Like that would never happen. It just so, you know, I was looking at it like Michael Jackson was 23 when Thriller came out. Kurt Cobain was 22, 23 when he wrote Nevermind. Like there's must be something about and all these all the best work is usually right before they become worldwide famous. And then once you get into that world, I feel like you lose part of it. You're just too rich. You're too whatever to be where you were when you were 
young and hungry. Which is the same as comedians that you see, like, um, you know, I definitely see comedians blow up and then I don't, I see their, I see them not do it, be as good of a comedian anymore. I've seen that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, and it's like, well, yeah, you're, you went from doing shows every single night to like, uh, the comedy was almost getting in the way of what you really wanted to do. And, you know, I don't know party or just hang out and it, it just, I don't, I, I don't know, you know? Yeah. It depends where you are too. I feel like it happens more so to the people I've noticed in LA where, you know, there's a comic or two that I could think of off the top of my head. I'm not going to say their name of course, but let's in general, I've seen this where someone's really good and, and they were struggling for a while. Then they get some industry love and they start booking a bunch of stuff and then they just start to coast. And I think part of it's because they've got these agents and friends around them who aren't honest with them anymore. You I know, because all their friends are like, if so-and-so gets a TV show, I want to write for it. And all the agents are like, you're amazing. Oh my God, you're, this was a dumb audience. They're stupid. No, you're great. You know, because their their job is to yeah. keep your head up high. Heat has ruined a comedian. Heat, that's the and word I, they always use. They got heat. And, and also like uh, a fan base has ruined a comedian too. I've seen comedians perform in front of their own, only their fan base and they just love them. And then they go on a showcase show where it's not necessarily their fans and they kind of eat shit because they, they just, they're, used to you know everyone just telling them this is why uh pos positive reinforcement isn't always great it's good it's 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 a nice people always want humble humble i won an award how humble that's not humbling a gold stat you're humbled by a gold statue <laughs> you know like uh no humble is eating shit that's that's humbling you know and being like you know i remember hearing this story about atel that he like had this one show in kansas city and just bombed and then just and then they were all going out dave he's like no, no, no i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to the hotel and then just came back just new material just destroyed the you know he went home and did the work uh because he got humbled and he you know and he went and did it um maybe that's another reason why comedians are still are great older in age because we're constantly being humbled even greats you know and that documentary comedian it explores Jerry Seinfeld returning to stand-up after doing the, one of the most successful sitcoms in history. Yeah. And he hadn't done stand-up regularly in years. Mm -hmm. And there's scenes where he's like, I'm one of the biggest names in the world. And I just ate shit for 12 minutes. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, you can't get bigger than me. It's still bad. You know, he's a comic. He's a, he's a comedian. You know, he likes the work of it. He likes tinkering with it. And yeah, I remember comedian came out, I think right when I got to, right around when I got to Chicago, I remember walking around Chicago and they had the posters for comedian on the side of, you know, the, the boarded up buildings and stuff. And I was like, that's, that movie looks, I gotta see that movie. And then I watched it being like, this is a Bible. This is, like, <laughs> this is required viewing. Yeah. When I first started doing stand up, I remember ordering that on, something amazon maybe i don't even know if amazon was as popular to order non-books at that time and i watched it pretty religiously i was trying to soak up any comedy documentary i could yeah. find and and that was a big one because colin quinn was different enough from jerry where it's like if you didn't quite agree with jerry the whole time he's throwing out <laughs> enough advice that's so right it's I pretty sweet identifying with quinn yeah i could no, definitely right i mean there's no in seinfeld such an interesting case because like 
you know, there's there's so many different ways to do comedy. You know, like I kind of liked Regan on his last special talking about OCD and talking about more personal things than he ever had done in the past. He was never a big political. It was always just here's a stupid thing I did, you know, but I, I would I, I love everything he does. He can you know, he can do no wrong. If he if he wanted to, you know, try some if he wanted to get political or wanted to get personal or something like that, I bet he would be very funny about it. I bet Seinfeld would be very funny about it. I mean, these guys just sort of made a choice and that's fine. But there's no wrong way to do it. You know, I don't I don't you know, Seinfeld's a different he there's there's we were talking about like the the ending before, and I I, I do think there's one ending that you can do to get that big but ah pow um that I didn't realize until a few years ago. I think I was actually sort of, I don't know, among the among the stand-up things that I think I watched that helped me sort of realize this is that I, I think the next level thing as a comedian, and it's weird because Regan and Seinfeld do not do this, what I'm about to say, and they're obviously at the echelon. They're hacks. So. Fuck them. You know what I mean? They don't know. <laughs> But if you have like a through line through your set that culminates in your last joke, that can give that big walk off pop that you're talking about, you know? So maybe sometimes you're fun. You, so that way you could, maybe it doesn't, maybe it is your funniest joke or it doesn't have to be, you know, your standalone funniest joke. You could open with your, you know, standalone funniest joke. And then if you have this thing that leads up to this, you know, I think I watched, yeah, Ali Wong special. She said, you know, it was mostly just, but she had just enough sort of tent pole pieces in the whole thing that the whole thing felt like one big long piece. And uh, it's a very, uh, yeah, I feel like that's like a pro way to get that big, you know, you know, thing at the end that you're talking about. That's Yeah, I love that. I, I saw hers and you're right that there's like a central theme to it. It's pretty cool because you don't always need to, it's not like every joke has to be part of that. I've seen comics have like a, like a through line, like you're saying, and they go a little bit here, 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 but it always yeah. goes back to that. Chappelle did that pretty cool with like his kind of comeback special where he told like the five different times he met OJ Simpson or whatever. Okay. And then he kind of spring, he would do a couple of bits. And then at the end of one joke, that got a real big laugh. He'd go now the second time I met OJ, because he already yeah. told the audience. It's he told fun. them, I'm going to tell you about the five times I met OJ. And then yeah. he would okay, yeah. tell a story about how the, the first time he met him, then do a couple of jokes. Then bam, here's the second time. Then the third time. And then when he came at the, it was, it put it all together beautifully. Um, right. And even Seinfeld, like, that's the thing I wish Seinfeld would kind of explore more. I mean, he's not getting any younger. He's 66. I want to say where he would get a little bit more personal and stuff. I feel like his, he's done such a good job of finding the nuance and everything. I remember seeing him live. I've only seen him live once, but it was like 2012. And I have to tell the year because otherwise the joke doesn't seem as hip. I got, I don't know. Hip's not the word, but he did a joke where he's like, what's the deal with these five hour energies? Who's working nine to one. You know, like <laughs> that joke's right there and everyone missed it for it. At that time, five hour energy was out for at least two years. It was out for, but the way he said it, who's work, who the hell's working nine to one? Like, it's such a specific yeah. Yeah. five, you know, yeah. and I remember just being like, man, this guy's how the fuck, you know, I almost yeah. didn't even in, the whole time. I didn't laugh a lot watching because I was like studying. I enjoyed the show, but I don't remember cracking up because I was like, what is, you know, and um, where this could segue into the, the next question for you, because it's about 
you know, writing on a political show and Nick's a writer for real time with Bill Maher, everybody, which is a show I've been watching for ever, uh, which is so cool that I know someone who watches it. I still sometimes will look be like, I see your name in the credits, um, at the end of the show, uh, is Chris Rock's last special tambourine. Do you see it? Yes. Now the first, I love the last like 35, 40 minutes because he talked about his divorce. He like got vulnerable. He like admitted I was a shitty husband, but the first 15 to 20 minutes of it just felt so flat to me because Twitter and 24 hour news networks have kind of ruined the political voices that we used to have. Cause it used to be, Oh, I can't wait to hear Chris Rock's take on this. Mm-hmm. But then by the time his special comes out, that was six months ago. I've heard everyone's take on this. I'm sick of hearing about this. It's been beaten into my head. I don't give a shit anymore. You know what I mean? Like it just, it feels like it's kind of lost that, uh, like, I don't know the spot, like not spontaneity. That's not the word, but for some reason it felt like Lewis black and, and Chris rock to an extent. And, and some of these political comics were like, I can't wait to hear their take. But now I know everyone's take because of Twitter and, Right, MSNBC and Fox News and all that shit it just feels like it kind of ruined it for me in a way. I don't. Tambourine came out a few years ago, right? Like twenty seventeen, so like four or five years ago, maybe now. I can't. Um, I can't remember the set I did last Friday. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I don't. I remember liking it. I don't remember the, the very beginning part, but I mean, it sounds like sounds like it sounds like something that I I. God, man, I ate some. I still edibles. enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I ate some edibles last night. And I had a, oh, what was I watching? I was watching something and, and then I had a, I had this like high epiphany that I recorded into my voice message. And maybe it sort of kind of pertains to this. Okay, here you go. Walk with, I'm going to explore a Walk high through, baby. while sober. We'll see how this goes, okay? Um, so you talk about like, you know, there's a thing that happens. You hear a million takes of it. So then by the time, somebody's real take comes out you know it's it's uh it's different from the olden days where it's like um yeah a, a, an incident rodney king happened and then nine months later you see a comedian special do a take on rodney king and it's the funniest thing you ever saw yes you haven't really you've only heard your buddy's takes on it up until this point because there was no other media you could absorb uh uh and then like like we do now and then you're saying yeah. that you know, it didn't say it, it watered it down. I feel like there's, there's uh as you, as you have Richard Pryor in the background right there. And I also feel, um, who's, who's the other guy I always think of? Um, um, who's the guy that everyone says, Dennis, Bill Hicks, you know, Bill so Hicks, like, yeah. and, and Richard Pryor, two of the greats. Um, there's bits of theirs. There's, 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 you know, stuff of theirs that I listen to that I, it's lost on, it's, it's flat on me only because, and on my guess is so many people have copied them and sort of like stolen the essence of their character and their, and maybe even this particular sort of, you know, a, a version of this bit that I've, I've been exposed to so many times, you know, that uh, I, 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 I've heard a cover of a uh, landslide so many times that when I actually see Flatwood Fleetwood Mac play it, it, I don't, it doesn't do anything for me because I'm like, well, I, I, smashing pumpkins. I, that's the real yeah, one. exactly. Dixie um, chick. <laughs> so, so like you know, I so there's this thing where things get diluted down or whatever, and we we can't appreciate. Diluted was the word I was looking for. Thank you, Jesus. I'm such an idiot. Thanks, buddy. So 
Okay, so, so now we go into the, my high thought last night, okay? Because I was thinking about how everybody always thinks that, like, more or less, okay, people think that uh, their generation's the funniest. You know, like, oh, people older than you, old, you old fogies, you guys don't know, oh, you laugh at, you think it, you think of pulling a penny behind your ears a, a joke you know that's hilarious to you you know and then young people you're like wait what do you what is this what you're dancing backwards that's funny to you what, what is this that's not funny you know and so people you know what's fun everyone always says when was snl the best when was snl the best they never go you know when it was the best 30 years before i was born they never say that you know they never say oh uh, you know the youngest, the newest one, you know, 20 years after I was the age of the people on the show. That's the, no, they always say, you know, when they were younger growing up, that generation was their favorite. That was the best. Every generation says this. Okay. So why, why has this happened? So here's, here's, okay, man. And you can cut any of this. Um, no, I want to hear it, baby. <laughs> so my, my, my thought is, is that when we come up as a generation, okay. We all observe there. There is a is it, there's a ethos. Maybe there's an in the atmosphere. You know, there is all the, the comedians and funny people and personalities and characters that we're all exposed to. We're all exposed to different amounts of them. You you might watch more Richard Pryor than me. I might watch more Andy Kaufman than you. You know, but we both know Andy Kaufman and Richard. But we're all exposed to all of and everything. You know. Then we also have, um, we're, so we're all, all humanity of a generation is exposed to that. So then we also uh, were exposed to our friends and family. And these, these exposures are what, are what create the comedians of a generation, okay? Because we're all evenly exposed to it. Well, then some people, I don't know, some people don't watch any comedy at all. So, you know, and then uh, some people watch tons of it i think the more you watch the more you probably have a chance you uh you have a better chance of becoming a comedian if you're super exposed to comedy than if you're not at all but um you know but then the, it's like well everyone is exposed to the even amount what makes those people comedians it's their personal families you know their person relationship with personal people so then these people rise up okay so then you become a comedian based out of everybody you've influenced by everybody you've ever seen and and then but then you're made specifically you by the your your personal inner circle people that nobody else uh, knows but that's what sets you apart from everybody else okay and so but then what everybody likes about you is the part of you that you've absorbed that they've absorbed from other people okay so they like they like you because you're a creation of the things they already liked does that make sense yes it okay, does so so then that generation goes up Okay. And so then th this generation comes up and they rise up. So then this new generation comes in and this new generation is influenced by where, you know, the, where the last generation, you know, came up to be. Okay. But these, so these people want to becoming um, influenced by this new atmosphere of people. Okay. And so then, the, then more comedians are formed there, but these people are created by a different atmosphere than the older generation was created so they don't see the things that they liked in these people because it's it's diluted or it's a different version of it 
so they can see a little bit of it. They can see, oh, I think this person's, I can see he is funny, you know? And sure, there are people that say, I think this younger person's hilarious. I think this older person's hilarious. Yes, there's anomalies, but I'm saying, generally speaking, you know, it does seem that people identify more with their gen. And I feel like that was my high thought last night of why that happens. Okay. I hope I didn't. No, I, lo I love the high thought. I think um, it, was, it was a lot to digest there for a second, but you know yeah. why? Because right when you started with SNL, I had a weird thing. I was listening to you, but holy shit, man. You know how you were talking about earlier that it's weird to think that your parents had this whole life before you came around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were talking about like whose favorite SNL cast is, and, and nobody ever says their favorite is the before they were born. Right, right. But then my dad's favorite was kind of my favorite. My really? favorite SNL cast was the like early 90s with uh, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, Farley, Sandler, right. and you know Phil Hartman. That was like my dad's favorite too. But dude, I'm now realizing my dad was a, a little older than me at that time. Right. So my, I'm thinking of my dad as this old guy, but really he was like late thirties while I was like six or seven years, we're 30 years apart in age. So if I was seven, he was 37. So of course a 37 year old would still have been into that, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, anyway, so that, that freaked me out a little bit there, but you're right. Influence is huge on that stuff. It is funny. Uh, Cause that is, that is the, that is the cast too, that I like, you know, loved, you know, that was, that was my, you know, um, Fair, you know that you know, that was when I fell in love with comedy around that time. So they were obviously a big influence for me. That was my favorite. To, and then I was always, you know, and I I am very aware that that everybody says that their time their their generation was the favorite. So I have to know that I'm biased because of that. But um, but I was like Phil Hartman, though. How do you not think Phil Hartman's one of the best? You know, how do you not think my gen that generation was was one of the best? And then I would read. I remember reading that, um, what was it after, something happened in the middle of all that where they consider that like one of the worst seasons. I think it was like towards the end of like Sandler's time there and Farley's time there and all that stuff. And I had no idea that was considered one of the worst seasons because I loved it. I loved those people. You know, I loved all of them. But I also think it's funny, like nobody's going, no one says uh, when Anthony Michael Hall, that was the best season. Yeah, or Joe <laughs> Piscopo, you know, right. like there are some shit seasons there. I feel like what mid to late eighties, where you're like, what is happening right now? With uh, um, Iron but, Man when he was over there at all. Oh yeah, Robert Downey Jr. was on the SNL cast. Holy shit! Totally <laughs> forgot. Julia Louis Dreyfus was one of the youngest ever. She was like twenty one. I'm glad it worked out for her, but um, yeah, she definitely SNL was not her big breakout thing. It felt no. Like. Um, and but then it's funny. Go ahead. No, I was saying with Julie Louis Dreyfus, you joke about how it didn't work out for her. Uh, what you're talking about with influence and everything that like, what makes people like the comedy they like, or what shapes a comedian. I am now. I caught myself sticking up for Hollywood nepotism a few weeks ago because, <laughs> well, because I realized there's been a big conversation over the last five years or so about how important representation is. And I go, yeah. And then I, I, I'm like, yeah, of course, representation is important because so many people, you can't see yourself in a certain profession if there isn't anyone who looks like you in that profession. That makes total sense, you know? Uh, I think Hollywood nepotism is, I think a lot of children, if your dad is a famous actor, that's a career option for you. But if your dad's a plumber 
and you're like, hey, dad, I want to be an actor one day. He's going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, there, Joey Hollywood, go take out the fucking trash first. You know, it's just a different that's a different environment. So I almost feel like everyone's like, oh, of course, all these famous people's kids get to be in movies. I'm like, I think they just they're good. A lot of them are good. They're confident. A lot of them you are know? good. Like, I think that? Elizabeth Olsen's a great actress. Her two sisters were Mary Kate and Ashley. She blew them out of the water. But I think she grew up where it's like I grew up in LA. That is like a job option in my world because it's represented around me. Whereas like being a kid on the northwest side of Chicago, the construction and firemen were everywhere. Like, you know. It's it's so funny. Uh one thing is I just read either today or yesterday that uh Stephen King's son wrote under a fake name. It didn't tell anybody he was his uh, his son for like ten years before, and his I think his agent didn't even know. Is what I read, which is amazing. You know, some people will, but you're right. Some people are very good. Some people, uh, you you almost want to say it's pretty impressive that you um, were good despite. Like I almost feel like having the life experience of being a plumber's son is more interesting and will make you a more interesting person than being in a bland, fake plastic world like Hollywood. Agreed. Um, <laughs> I also was like, there's a lot of hate towards the rich right now. And, um, and I'm not going to defend the rich, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's sort of funny that everybody wants to be rich, you know, like everybody wants money. But then this, like, and I think if you like, if like, I just think it's funny that I don't think there's anything wrong with you, Joe, wanting money. Okay. And then I, I think it's funny that if you were to get a bunch of money, suddenly you deserve my hate. You know, like you deserve to be a, a torn down as a terrible person. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, Hannibal, our, our buddy Hannibal got a bunch of shit because people on Twitter found out he owns a couple apartment buildings and they're like, oh, Hannibal's a landlord. Fuck that piece. First of all, you don't know what kind of landlord he is. Yeah. And a friend of mine made a good point. A friend of mine has one apartment building, right? He, he lives in a modest house, but he rents out like a three flat in Chicago. And he was saying... It's funny that so many people hate landlords now because what what's happening with that is it's hurting small time landlords and only big companies are now buying things. And so you should be happy when you find out individuals like a Hannibal owns a couple apartment buildings. He's not some huge corporation. Who's more likely to rent to someone who doesn't meet qualifications? A guy like Hannibal Burris or MGM management firm that... <laughs> Buys up, you know, 12 unit apartment buildings, you know, 10 at a time and gobbles them up and can give a shit about you and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. I just feel like the guy's got a lot of money that he earned through selling tickets and, you know, making movies and stuff like that. And why not invest it? I don't know. I just don't think it's bad to be a landlord. It's bad if you're a bad landlord. What do you expect him to do? You, You expect him to sit on the money and make his like you know, three cents on, you know, on every $10,000 he, he yeah. owns and, and make garbage in, you know, interest, or you want him to invest it in a uh, almost, you know, almost certainly nefarious company, you know, like, uh, do you want him to, um, I mean, what do you want to do? Put it, put it in Bitcoin. Do you want him <laughs> and, and then destroy the environment? Do you want him to like, no matter what you do with the money, is, is going to be subject to judgment. How about 
we uh, embrace this, we celebrate uh, Hannibal doing this, and we say, how about more cool people be landlords? What if every landlord was like a cool person? Yeah. You know, like, why, why is the reputation for every landlord just the biggest jerk on earth? Um, because they want, like nobody goes, ah, oh, the fucking, fucking waiter wants, his, wants me to pay him. Like what is, what is so wrong about a guy wanting you to pay him for the thing that you, you bought from him? Yeah. You know? We should all, I mean, what if you and I pool our money together? You know, we could probably pool a little money together, get a little joint, make a little extra income. I think, the, you know, let's, this is the distribution of wealth that we're talking about. Stop letting, you know, stop letting the corporations, you know, make rent. You know, there's all these like shares right now. There's this company. So I do a, this, this will be my plug for my podcast, Get Rich Nick. Uh, I do with Nick Turner, where each week we try to uh, figure out a different way to get rich. And like we, like I found this one of our sponsors. I shouldn't even. Am right, I plugging a sponsor that's not paying us? But this thing called uh, it was like called Fundrise or something like that. You can invest. You can give them money and invest in. They do developments of all sorts, commercial, residential, all sorts of stuff. And it's like, like there should be more companies like this, you know, that like give people. I mean, this is this is the great thing about Robinhood, you know, is that it's allowing people this opportunity. You, you know, I mean, hell, even in uh, fifteen years ago, maybe I could figure out an e trade account and spend an obnoxious amount of money on commissions and, you know, and trade stuff. Uh, but this all makes stuff, you know, so much more accessible to people that aren't wealthy and need to make money. So um, good for Hannibal, man. Yeah, I dude, I agree, man. There's uh, I, I have no problem with if, if you become filthy rich exploiting people. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Um, I'm pro union, which helps guard against exploitation of workers. Right. Uh also, you know, cause like everyone, this whole, all billionaires are bad. I'm like, you know, Dick Wolf's a billionaire. He created a bunch of cool shows that are all union run. I'm pretty sure everyone made some decent money on those. You know, Paul McCartney's a billionaire. He wrote some of the greatest songs of all time. It's not, I just don't like here. Whenever I hear all, I go, is it, is it all? There's right. a comedian in me. That's a little contrarian. Like when I hear all, all of anything, I go, well, let's hold on real quick there. It can't be everybody. Um, just, yeah, just pay fair share of taxes and, and there you go. Because what's, if people are like, oh, you know, no more billionaires, I go, well, what about 997 million? Is that okay? Is it okay if I have 950 million bucks? Is that, how's, how's that treating you? Is that okay? You know what I mean? Uh, but you must talk about this stuff in the in the writer's room at Real Time with Bill Maher all the time. If you wouldn't mind indulging me a little bit, uh, what's... What's it like on that show? It's a show every like everyone knows real time with Bill Maher, but you guys get such cool panels in there, and the yeah. new rules segment is pretty iconic now. It's been going what for a couple decades. So, uh, what's the writers' room like? I mean, it's pretty fun. It's been very weird with the pandemic. You know, over the past year, we've been doing all Zoom Zoom meetings, um, but um, but it's um, you know we we it's we start. I guess I'll. I'll I, some people are sort of, I don't know. I think it's interesting, the nuts and bolts of how it goes down. Um, we start working on, we start working on the next week's show before like the, the prior week. Right. So cool. like, you know, like, you know, our, our show airs Friday. So Thursday, we're already pitching an editorial, which is the very last new rule of the show. You know, it's that's sort of like the talking about, you know, the whole, you know, it's Bill's. It's my. You know, I feel like it's 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 one of the, the things that are 
um, most important to him because it is the whole show kind of leads up to this moment. It's like you're talking about, you want to leave with this big, you know, uh, this big walk off. And so we start pitching stuff the Thursday beforehand. And he usually settles on something, you know, Thursday or Friday, lets us know for sure. And, you know, kind of uh, poke at it throughout that. You know, I mean, I'm all, I'm always working. I feel like any minute I have downtime is an opportunity to be writing something or reading something, you know, um, I mean, the amount of stuff I've, I've written, I've, I've, I've written, I've read and written more stuff working at this show. It's like, if I, if I worked like this in college, I would have finished college. Um, <laughs> but I just wasn't as interesting to me as the stuff we're doing now. Um, but, um, you know, and then, then Monday we have to like, we all write these, um, you know, we turn the editorial in on Monday. We also write these sort of uh, issues um, about, you know, that can be sort of like, could be potential editorials that we could talk about later in the week, or they could be issues for our panel to, to talk about. So it's, there's a lot of writing that we do. Everybody on the show does everything. Um, and, and so Tuesday is the first time that we start, we're actually all in the room together and we pitch uh, desk pieces. You know, that's the middle, middle uh, segment of the show. And uh, before bringing out the final guest, um, what's that? Yeah, that's the piece right before they bring out the final guest. Yes, this is the closest. I feel like you know, not doing stand up as much anymore. Um, you know, I mean, for a couple different reasons, but you know, my time goes to the show is is, is a huge one. But this is like the, I feel like this is the closest it feels to stand up, you know, or the stand up chops, you know, I, I, you know, sort of like showing how they were relevant and useful, you know. <laughs> looking over your desk piece and you're, it's like trying a new chunk at, a, at an open mic, you know, like, or, you know, you're like, okay. you ever have a joke really good. And you're like, ah, that joke, you know what, Bill, sorry, I'm saving that one for Nick. That's a Nick joke. <laughs> you're not getting that one. <laughs> well, I feel like, um, I, I feel like there is the, a joke, a joke knows like, like a joke belongs in a certain place. I feel, you know, like if it's political, if it's social commentary, if it's, um, of the day of, of what's going on in the news, like that, that, that stuff, like it makes all that sense for that to go to the show. If I come up with something like, you know, if I come up with something like a joke about my last name, I'll keep that. You know, like, that'll be a joke. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. I think Bill Mark could probably deliver that, but it is, <laughs> it is interesting, dude. I remember when I first heard, cause I think we were both living in LA at the same time together at that point, when you first got on the show as a writer because no one thinks of you as a political comedian. Now, I know you as a really smart guy. I've had s social commentary related conversations with you, you know, mm -hmm. off stage hanging out. Yeah. So did, did a lot of people kind of think, oh, wow, that's that's weird for Nick. Because Nick's kind of like this silly force of nature on stage. And he's going into the world of writing, you know, political jokes. I think so. Oh, yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, you know, really like my writing... It's interesting, you know, th this was, uh, this process was like, you know, you get these writing packets. I was very frustrated with writing packets over the years because I would always spend all this time on it. And I felt like you're just like, like writing a short story and then throwing it in the ocean, you know, and, yeah. like, and you never know, you know, like a stand up set, I can go out, I can get laughs, I can not get laughs, I can, I can um, figure out what I need to work on or what I need to fix based on the laughs or lack thereof, you know, with this, you've no feedback. You don't know what, you don't know how close, you don't know if you were close or nowhere near it or what the deal was, you know? And I had gotten like, 
I literally was like beginning of like June going all the way to October. I, I got, I, I, I want to say like eight or nine packets in a row. It was like Sarah Silverman show, daily show, Colbert show, Kimmel show, Fallon, SNL, you know, like it was just a bunch of, and I just rejection, 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 rejection. And then like, and then, and then the real time packet came up like in October and I, I had done so many, so many packets in a row. And I always think about like, you know, like Matt Damon in, um, uh, in Goodwill hunting. And they were like, what, uh, you know, my dad used to beat me with a belt and like, well, what belt did you pick? He's like the, the biggest one with the biggest buckle. Cause yeah. you know, I just felt like him. That's why. It's, I was like, if this this whole industry, if they don't want me, if they don't want anything I have to write, I'm gonna spend so much fucking time on this packet. You know, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go ten times harder for this one. Ten, get, I'm gonna get the biggest fucking belt, buckle for this fucking packet. You know, so that if, <laughs> so that if if I don't get it, it hurts even more because <laughs> I put so much time into it. You know, um, and then and that's the one I wound up getting. That's fucking awesome, dude. What a great story, buddy. Um, you got time for, I got, I do two quick little segments. I know I wanted to keep you for about an hour or so. Um, the first one's called five good ones where I ask you five questions, some silly, some kind of like, like legit, like a real question. Um, and here, and then the last one is a quick game of fuck, Mary kill, which I think you might be excited about because I did St. Louis edition, famous St. Louis natives. This is where I find out. This is where I, I don't know any of the references. And I'm like, yeah, I, I got pictures for you because I thought he might not know them. So I'll get pictures for you. All right, here we go. Five good ones. Here are the questions. The first one's an easy standard question. What has been your favorite moment in your comedy career? I mean, oh boy. Besides uh, doing this podcast. I mean, I mean, Fallon was pretty fun. I, I also, uh, performing with the sketch group heavyweight was pretty fun. And I think those. Who was in many- that group? Uh, TJ Miller, Brady Novak, Mark Rotterman. We did a sketch for like 10 years. Hilarious dudes. Chicago sketch fest every year. It was, uh, that was some of the most fun time in my life. And after like, um, you know, after we all moved away, we would come back in town. I know this is supposed to be quick answers, but we would come back no, in town. Fine. It doesn't have to be. We would land it on Tuesday with nothing, and we would write it. We would run to all the open mics and all do as many shows as possible, just try and, and build a show by the end of the week. And that process was so much fun to do. Um, and uh, yeah, I got it. That is that's fun. Chicago, really. I don't know if that could be a moment, but Chicago is probably my favorite. No, moment. that's definitely a moment. I remember you and TJ popping in at comedians you should know like going up first just to mess around. And it was always like one of our favorite things to see. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's so Chicago. Chicago's my favorite. Chicago's my favorite. That's awesome, buddy. All right. If you weren't in show business, I guess this is a good follow-up. If you weren't in show business, what career do you think you'd be in? I really need a joke answer uh, to this. Um, But um, I would probably be a um god i feel like in the past year i i thought of this i feel like i was like oh i would definitely be doing um i don't know i guess uh, i could see you as a great kindergarten teacher you think teach yeah good with kids you think i think you'd be very good with kids maybe a doctor like a patch adams like just a fun great bedside manner i could see you definitely being some sort of uh, line of service you know, but not a cop, obviously. I don't see you as a cop, Nick. Although I, I bet you could grow a sweet stash. But I think I think it's kind of all this. You know what I you know what I kind of think? Life of crime. Yeah. And then, 
bit of a joke answer, but I also think it's sort of a real answer. Right? There's there's something exhilarating about like posing as a you know whatever it's a like I I would love to like pose as a doctor, go in and do the bedside manner, you know, bring joy to people who are bedridden, and then uh, then have a nurse practitioner walk in and go. Who are you? And, like, ah! and then I, I run out and I got it. I love uh, escaping. I love trying to go down shoots, climbing out windows and stuff. That's pretty fun. So, but I don't know how, I don't know what the crime is of that. I know. I agree though. There's something about, you want to be part of a heist, man. You know what the closest thing I ever did to a heist was I remember buying beer once at a local grocery store and I overheard the cashier asking if they had a preferred card. And the guy said, I don't have my card, but here's my phone number. The guy said his phone number out loud. I memorized his number. I use his number still to this day as my preferred card <laughs> at Jules, which is a grocery store throughout Chicago. I did. <laughs> I'm not going to say it out loud because I don't want people calling and being a jerk, but I, I, I remember hearing it and I had a 12 or Heineken in my hand. I was on my way to a party when I was like early twenties. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a discount on this Heineken because I don't have a preferred card either. It's so funny. So you probably your crime, I think, just gets him points on his card every time. It, it does. It does. There's, it's really he's welcome. As a matter of fact, you know, he's getting all sorts of savings. I'm getting savings. Everyone's getting savings. You know, there's a. I, I have a great heist, by the way. You want to hear it? Yes, Martin, I do. Martin Scur. You know Martin Scarelli. Yes. He's so he's terrible the person. Pharma bro. Yep. He's the guy who uh, upped the price of EpiPens, and then he's in jail for I don't know what he's in jail for. But he uh, he bought you know so Outcast I believe so is it Outcast? No, it's um, Wu Tang uh, Camp. Yeah. Uh, what's that group? Wu Tang, right? Wu Tang. What am I? A hundred years old. Um, uh, but um, but so they sold one um, album, or just one album. And then I think it, because they wanted, they liked this idea of music as art, you know? And so, and, and this idea that like, uh, you put all this weight on this one thing and it, you can't make copies of it. And so they sold it to the highest bidder. Well, Martin Scarelli wound up winning the bid, buying this one album. No one else has ever heard it. It's up to, they also said that they, it was up to the, you know, person who bought it, if they wanted to share it with the world or if they keep it to themselves, they could do whatever they want with this one Wu-Tang album. But it's right now, it's in storage somewhere in some Fed, locked up in some Fed. And that would be the sweetest heist in the world to like break in there, steal this thing from douchebag Martin Scarelli, and then like, and then give the album to the world. I mean, that's what I would probably be doing right now if I wasn't a comedian. Why the oh hell? Oh my not? God. I would want to be on that crew. That's, I mean, a, that's a screenplay, buddy. You just wrote a screenplay. God, it'd be so much more fun to do it though. I would be. Yeah, can we can we can we have it be a documentary instead of a screenplay? It's a documentary following us around doing the heist. God, it's so funny. I just watched a documentary the other day. What was that? These kids in high school they tied up some lady in there. Uh, they had there was an old old book that they that was worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars in this tiny library in this tiny town, and they like I think for the excitement of it, they they the tied excitement up. the adrenaline then, rush. It's that's the point. Fun until somebody gets hurt. The tying up the lady was the where they took it too far, and then they went to jail for a very long time. Why don't they just club her over the head real quick? You know, just knock her out. She's fine. She walks that off. Hopefully, tying up is torture. 
I, I say, how about, uh, hey, free uh, free ice cream down at the Woolworths. Get her out of there. Lies. Exactly. Lies. No one uses lies anymore. Lies are, yeah, lies need to make a comeback. All right, question number three. And I want a specific one here on this one. You'll see what the question. If you could have any superhero's powers, whose would you have? Now, I had to say a superhero in particular because if you just say if you could have a superpower, people are always like, I'd fly or something. No, I want, like, I know you're not, you might not be a comic book guy, but I'm sure there's someone that sticks out in your head where you're like, I wish I was this person. Boy, God. again, again, I got to start writing these down because I feel like I, I see these things and I'm like, oh, that's the one I want 100%. It's like Halloween costume. It's like you think of it in June and then my yeah. it's like, I don't know. Guess I'll go as Nancy Reagan again. <laughs> um, hmm. God, there's so many these days, you know. You got. Uh, you know what? I'm I almost thinking know, I should start giving the guests these questions ahead of time. I. You know what? I like the one. I. I there was a, a pretty fun one. What was it? Oh, it's the girl that has. Um. Okay, so there's a girl on a show, I think it's Doomsday Patrol, and she has multiple personalities, and each of the personalities has their own superpower. And uh, I think that's pretty uh, cool. Um, I like then, that one. That's a good answer. I think um, it's a, but I don't think you're aware of it, all the different powers, though. I think it's sort of, well, you know, person. I think if you're like the flying person, who's sort of like quiet but then you turn into the person who's like arrogant and can shoot laser beams i don't think you know i don't think you're it's like split where they don't you know yeah see you'd want to know you'd want to know i feel like i think i would want her superpower because i would like the idea of just uh, that i could be like a a different guy for a little bit and then because i think being the different people just as interesting as doing the <laughs> That's my superpower. Having a different personality. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Let's move on. I, I got question number four. I think you're gonna like. Great. What actress would play your wife on a Nick Vaderat sitcom? Um, or husband to get the show made? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. What wife? Uh, who do you like? Food. Oh, um, can they be dead? Sure. Madeline Kahn. I think I would want Madeline Kahn to be my... Uh, what is she from? I don't know her. I'm sorry. Uh, you remember this? Madeline Kahn! Okay. Now, it, Madeline Kahn um, is in uh, History of the World Part 1. Uh, yes. She is in, uh, I believe, um, Young Frankenstein. She's a Mel Brooks. She's not a yeah, Mel Yeah, now I'm, I'm getting the image in my mind of who she is yeah old school yeah she's definitely dead though uh, oh so dead but uh, it's so funny though she she's one of those people that just killed me just was so funny um i don't know yeah it's so funny there, there's those there's those people that just make you laugh i was thinking about how you, I, I was a huge Catherine o'hare fan and it's so fun to see all the buzz from shit creek happen because it's like because i was always like like i feel i feel like madeline khan is underrated even even as she's like you know sort of pretty big, I I still think that she's just like sometimes like why are we not Catherine talking? O'Hara, about yeah, her? it's interesting you mentioned Catherine O'Hara, everybody, because my four year old son is a gigantic fan of hers. 
uh, that he doesn't even realize though, because his two favorite movies to watch around Christmas time were Home Alone. Yeah. And which I thought at the time, I'm like, maybe he's too young to see Home Alone because he did want to reenact knocking people off of things. Uh, but it was because he was like three at the time. And then his second favorite movie was A Nightmare Before Christmas, which is more of a Halloween movie, but he loves that movie. And she's the voice of Sally. Right. So I'm, I remember putting that together, being like, man, he's got a secret thing for Catherine O'Hara. Doesn't even realize it. Has he seen Beetlejuice yet? No, but maybe I should throw that one out there. I think that one might be a little too adult for him. I thought he'd be scared with Nightmare Before Christmas, but he loves it. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, it's been it's been said to me in the past how much that you don't realize uh, kids kids enjoy being scared more than you realize. I, I, I'm learning that. I'm learning that. You're right. All right. It's funny that you have a dead actress because the last question is, what famous dead person would you want to party with? You can't see her again. Famous dead person to party with. Because you, you, there's, there's, there's people like Andy Kaufman, which I think would be interesting, you know. But then there's like um, – but then you also think like, well, what, what was, what was, what's Jesus like? Would he be, you know, or you go historical, um, you know, get real deep into it. Yeah. I think like doing some like LSD with like Socrates, you that know, would be pretty good. See, you went far. Nobody's gone this far back. I like that though. Jesus too, because he's not, he doesn't judge, you know, he hung out with a lot of nefarious souls, hung out with prostitutes. <laughs> turns water into wine. He keeps the party going. So you can really get into some crazy shit with Jesus where you're like, Hey man, you said no, no judgment. Remember you said you don't judge. Hey, you care say, forgive me that? later. Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. <laughs> hey, man, hey man, my wife's at home, but I might hook up with this girl. Hey, I'm not, I'm not judging, man. Not He's the perfect wingman. You know, <laughs> everyone's got that one friend where they're like, oh. you know, you have that one friend where you're like, I can't sneak a cigarette around you. Cause you're going to give me shit about it. <laughs> You know, I don't really, I'm not a smoker, but I'll have a few a week, but you're the one asshole where I'm like, fine, I won't have this cigarette right now, even though I need it. Jesus wouldn't be that guy. Right. Uh, you should make a t-shirt. You should make that as a bumper sticker. Jesus is my wingman. You should. Jesus. <laughs> it's probably already exists. All right. Now let's play. Talk, speaking of Jesus, you know, game Jesus loved Nick. Oh, Fuck, Mary kill. Mary kill. Jesus loved it. All right, everyone, it is time for Fuck, Mary Kill, St. Louis edition, in honor for Nick Vatterot's hometown. And I've got three famous people from your great city. And uh, I think you're going to like the choices of who you're going to fuck, marry, or kill. Uh, in no particular order, your first choice is one, Jenna Fisher from The Office. Okay. I found a very flattering picture of her for you. Uh, we all know she played Pam, and she's been in numerous other things. Next, I got a Victoria's Secret model for you. One other uh, than Carly Kloss, Victoria's Secret angel. Very tall woman. I believe she's 6'1". And last but not least, another amazing St. Louis resident. Oh, well, not current resident, but native. We got John Goodman. <laughs> so you got Jenna Fisher, oh, Carly Kloss. Or John Goodman, who of those three are you going to fuck, marry, or kill? Kill Claus. She's out of there. She's gone. Any particular reason? Wings. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like ladies with wings. 
<laughs> she goes flying away. You can't trust her. Forget are you that. flying around or are you some other man? What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. If I, if I wanted to hook up with wings, I'd date a pigeon. Okay, lady. <laughs> I think you want to, um, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think Jenna Fisher seems, uh, she seems like somebody that, uh, yeah, she seems like somebody you could, you could really marry. Yeah. You got to marry Jenna. Yeah. She looks like she'd be good looking in the morning without makeup. She looks like she listens well. She's yeah. up for doing fun things, you know? Yeah. I Definitely. think, she, you know, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's tough because, you know, and she's one of these people that, you know, she has this alias on the show office, she, you know, and she doesn't, I, I, some people say that she's uh, not really being herself on that show that she's putting on a facade. And so I don't know if that's, um, let's like, see if I could do a real office trick here. Here's what they do at the office. It's always like someone does something stupid and then it zooms in. <laughs> you did it. Perfect. You did it absolutely perfect. You, you. Can I tell you a funny Jenny, Jenna Fisher story? Please. My parents, uh, you know, especially my dad, he would always say, Hey, you know, Jenna Fisher's from St. Louis. Uh, they went to Ursuline. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, Nerinx, it was Nerinx. But uh, it was always like, hey, if you ever see her, tell her that, uh, you know, I think she lived, I, I don't know, I can't, no, I'm, I thought she lived like straight up like in, in, in Baldwin or, or Manchester, something very close to us. But to St. Louis, regardless, if you ever see her, tell her you're from St. Louis. Years, for years, years. It's a parent home. move. Hey, by the way, you ever see Jenna Fisher? I mean, I was in New York for six years, never saw Jenna Fisher. I was always told if I ever saw Jenna Fisher, just tell her I'm from St. Louis, okay? So more years go by. I'm in L.A. I see a famous person every now and then, but it's never Jenna Fisher, so I don't tell them I'm from St. Louis, okay? So, um, oh, it was Manchester, because now the story's coming to me as I'm telling it. Um, and then I go, so I did this, the podcast, Get Rich Nick, we were on Airwolf for a while and um, Airwolf had an, a year end of the year party, Christmas party. And Jenna Fisher does a podcast for Airwolf about where they go over each episode of the office. And she was at the party and I was like, Holy shit. I see Jenna Fisher. And I was told for uh, 10 years, I was told if you ever see Jenna Fisher, you got to <laughs> tell her you're from St. Louis. So I was like, I can't, I ha I have to, I have to tell her. I have to at this point. It's been this long thing, whatever. Well, every time I see her, she's talking to someone. She's hugging somebody. It looks like she's connecting with an old friend. I never want to interrupt, you know. I don't know. I'm kind of waiting for a time to just go up and talk to her. But she's always, seems like she's always talking to somebody uh, that she knows well. And I don't want to be that guy. And then, you know, uh, maybe an hour and a half, I'm a, I, got, I got a little more of the conf I had a couple more pints of confidence in me. And, uh, and then I see her and then she comes out of, looks like the bathroom and then she stops and then she's like, stops and she's like on her phone for a second. She's just, you know, um, oh, there I go. Did I disappear? Um, and I was like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. I have to go up to her. So I go up to her. I was like, hey, Jenna, um, uh, 
my name's Nick. Um, I- I'm from Manchester. Okay. <laughs> and she goes, uh, oh, okay, I, I'm going to, uh, this is, I'm going to paraphrase the story, but it's basically like, she goes, you from where? And I was like, <laughs> what? what? And she's like, Manchester? And then uh, I was like, yeah. I was like, aren't you from Manchester? She's like, uh, a bit north. And I was like, she is always on. She's hilarious. I would definitely marry somebody who's so funny. Who's doing a, what it seems to be a Scottish accent or something. Yeah, that's crazy though. Yeah. But did she eventually break character? And she's like, yeah, I'm from St. Louis too. Uh, she break character. Uh, so it turns out uh, she was uh, not her. Somebody else. I I mixed her. She was at the party. She was 100 at the party, uh, and there was another girl there who looked a lot like her. That and then and this conversation, by the way, went on like three or four minutes of her going, "Huh?" And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "I live in that." She's like, "I'm a bit north, a bit north Manchester," and uh, so she thought I was talking about the UK where she was from. And I thought she was Jenna Fisher from the office. And but I did realize though that you can have a conversation with a very attractive woman if you just go up and say you're from Manchester. Like that, that apparently that's an in, and uh, you can have a conversation. Good uh, tip. Good tip. You do uh, realize though. Yes, and I th- but but I think he's a very I think he would be gentle. I think Goodman would be very soft. I think he would be gentle with me. I think it would be nothing that I um I just, um, you know, it, it's like it's it's not something that I want, you know, but I just I can't I just can't kill John Goodman. No, you I cannot. Be, you don't kill King Ralph. You don't kill Dan Connor. No, and I can't I can't kill Jenna Fisher, and I hate people with wings. So <laughs> so that's that. And then you know, and so then it's like well. I mean, a lifetime. This is more of what I would do to have a lifetime with somebody with a with a with somebody who I, I'm guessing would be a good partner based on a character uh, that they play. Based on, and by the way, I'm also basing this on the other person who I thought she was. You know, <laughs> like I, I based on the conversation I had with the Scottish woman, I I would want to spend a, a lifetime with that person. Um, so to trade off with that. Is for um, you know an intimate moment with uh, with someone who's made me laugh a lot. Beautiful, that's a good trade off. You know, I almost picked John Ham or John Ham, oh, who's yeah, also I, from St. Louis. What'd you say? You would have fucked him. <laughs> well, rumor is he's swinging some pipe, so I don't know. It might be too much. Oh yeah, yeah. That was a big thing that was all over Twitter a few years ago. About how uh, he would, the people on the set of uh, Mad Men were like, you got to wear underwear, pal, because apparently he wasn't wearing underwear and uh, it was just flopping all over the place. And it was like, come on, man, let's. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Tuck it into your sock. That's yeah. what I... let's, let's put that thing back in the cage, you know. I have a John Hamm story that, also, that also involves Earwolf. Let's uh, lay it on me, bud. I uh, walked out of the bathroom and then I. And then John Hamm was right there. That's the whole story. Pretty good. Pretty is he tall? Is he a tall guy? Um, I believe so. He looks like John Hamm. He looks like a guy who needs to be in Hollywood. You know, 
He does. He has that uh, perfect casting in Mad Men, all that stuff. He definitely, I, I read about his career. He's kind of a late bloomer. Um, he was playing, when he was playing like a 32 year old, he was really like 38. And he was it, great on Curb. Did you see him on Curb this past season? Oh, crap. No. Watch the latest season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was wildly impressed with how funny he was in it. I feel like he's been in funny. He's, he's, he's funny and stuff. I feel like he does stuff over at Earwolf, like, uh, you know, every now and then, or maybe more regularly. I don't think it was a anomaly that he was over there that I ran. I walked out of the bathroom. And he was there. That's the second time, by the way, I've been somewhere and walked out. They I just think it's so funny that there's two times in my life that I've been in a bathroom somewhere and there's a celebrity just waiting for me to get out of the bathroom. And it was John Hamm one time and it was Bill O'Reilly the other time. Wow. Bill O'Reilly, I believe it was over it was over at Fox News. I was doing Red Eye, which was a show they used to do with Tom Shalhoub. And um and and uh I think there was like only there's only like the one unisex bathroom over that. So I think he was like and he had to go on soon. And I think I don't know why he doesn't have his own bathroom somewhere, but he's and he looked so disappointed. Because you know what's funny? I wasn't going to the bathroom. I was in there like going over my jokes for the show and like, Oh, uh, it's hilarious. I wasn't even, I wasn't even going and he's out there like doing the PP dance and I'm just sitting there going, well, what's something uh, funny about uh, the Middle East conflict? Um, It'd be great. If you just heard Bill O'Reilly outside the bathroom door. Fuck it. I'll piss at my desk. <laughs> Fuck it. You got one goddamn fucking bathroom in this place. Huh? What kind of amateur bullshit is it? Fuck it. I'll piss live. That'd be amazing. <laughs> that would have been the best. <laughs> Just so the whole sequence. Fuck it, we'll do it. We'll do it right here on the floor. Fine. I've never had a celebrity bathroom story, but I did. Uh, my wife, when we were first in LA, like we had only been living there for a couple months, went to the bathroom at a Chinese restaurant, and the mother from Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, the actress is Dolores something. She was like waiting to go, and my wife held the door open for her. She's like, "Oh, thank you, dear." Like just the sweetest old lady ever. Um, you know, she was also oh, the mom in uh Christmas vacation. She's been in a bunch of things. She, she plays, you know, and yeah. she died though, actually, like a year after that. Oh, 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 you're talking about the, I, okay, I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about his wife. Uh, yes, I know you're talking about, yeah, yeah. no, not the wife, yeah, his mom, his mom, and everybody loves Raymond. Oh, that's fun, yeah, those are fun people. See, that's I always got more of a kick when I was living in LA or just in life in general, meeting those actors, you know. I yeah. went to uh, there's a pet store on Franklin over by UCB where we we went in there to get dog food. Again, we were still new to LA, and Mimi from the Drew Carey show was like, "Oh, you got a beautiful dog," and she's like, "You know, she obviously." I took me a second to be like, "Oh my god, it's fucking Mimi," but it was her, right. and she was like petting my dog. Um, yeah, like those were the people yeah, I'm I like. Recognize oh. her. I, I was I'm just I got a good. She didn't have the crazy makeup on, but I was still able to spot her. You know, those are the people I dug. <laughs> Because <laughs> I waited on Philip Seymour Hoffman in New York, and I didn't get—I did, I, it was lost on me that I was waiting on him. Uh, that's a, that's, a that's even cooler. It was, yeah. Well, it was very funny. He was reading a script. Who knows what? Who knows what famous movie he was reading at the time? And uh, well, along and, came Polly. It'd <laughs> 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 be great if it was one of those, right? Um, I said to him, because I, I worked by the High Line, and it's always like, it's always the same conversation when I, I was bartending, and it's always the same conversation. It's always like, hey, uh, how's the weather? Oh, what's there to do in this city? So I saw an end to a different conversation, you know? And um, I was like, hey, you got a script, huh? I was like, I, I go, you in the biz? 
and uh, even leaned forward and said it like that. <clears throat> and he goes, yeah, you can say that. And uh, I go, is that a script? He's like, yeah, something my buddy wrote. I go, oh, that's the worst, man. When your buddy makes you read a script, it's like uh, making you, helping you make you move, you know? Like, uh, by the way, his buddy was probably Charlie Kaufman or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and then like the whole time, I'm just like, just kind of riffing with them and you know i'd wait wait on other people then i would come back and i i literally had no idea who he was i was just like so you live out here in new york and he's like yeah i was like that's great you're able to make it out here because a lot of uh you know i know a lot of people say they gotta go to la god you do the la thing but that's great that you're able to live out here and and, and sort of make it work and i literally because i had i had gotten representation within i think like a year that that i mean i was still bartending so it, it wasn't that long ago I got representation and was like going to do the, Hey, I, let me help you out if I can. I really had yeah. no idea. And at the very end, and I, I was like, maybe you'll be reading a script of mine one day. Um, and he's like, what's your name? I was like, Oh, Nick Vetter. What's your name? He goes, Phil Hoffman. And then it, then, then clicked. He walked away. And as he walked away, I turned to everybody at the bar. I was like, you guys know who that was? And everybody Laugh. I mean, it was like cheers. It was like these people who hadn't been speaking to each other for an hour. I'll go, ah, I can't believe you didn't know it was here. We all, everyone thought I was fucking with him. They thought I was just totally joking around. Um, yeah. If you win an Oscar, uh, you're in the biz. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Dude, it's sad now because he's dead too. Because it would be so cool if you met him one day. Like say he was, he, if he was still alive, he'd probably be on real time at some point. And you could have been like, I'm the idiot bartender. I don't know if you remember this a decade or so ago. Damn you, heroin, taking away good stories from us and people's lives, too. That's part of it. I hope I didn't drive him to whatever. If he's just like, man, what do I got to do to get recognized anywhere? <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I Mr. Beaned him into the grave. <laughs> Amazing. Bartenders in Manhattan don't even recognize me. I want an Oscar, damn it. <laughs> I, I work hard. I was an almost famous recently. Come on. I was in the big Lebowski. I'm a character actor, but still an Oscar. Oh my God. Uh, Amazing buddy. Nick, dude, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, absolutely. Dude, tell everyone about your podcast again, what the name of it is, where they can find it, where they should follow you, all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, my name's Nick Vatterot, V-A-T-T-E-R-O-T-T, but check out, uh, I don't know, whatever you do. Some, I don't know. I, t- I plug Twitter. I don't know if anybody even does Twitter. But, uh, you know, follow me wherever I can. Follow, and then um, I, I, this is if you, if you hadn't hated me up to this point, you'll hate you'll definitely hate me as I try to uh, struggle through plugging uh, anything in my career. Um, but Get Rich Nick is the big thing. It's me and Nick Turner. I don't know. Just type in Get Rich Nick and Nick Vatterot. You'll find it. Subscribe listen to stuff we have episodes we start with if you're looking for an episode to start on we have an episode where we, we want a car on the price is right um we also went down to mexico and tried to buy drugs and sneak it across the border at the like <laughs> farm you hear about pharma pharmaceutical tourism we, we, we tried to buy a bunch of adderall and sneak it back that was a pretty funny episode we tried to babysit kids two grow two full-grown men trying to babysit kids it was you always see that premise in movies and you, it's kind of hack and then it really happens. You're like, yeah, I see where there's a lot of comedy. Uh, yeah, definitely. I could see that having two um, kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. That's, everyone. But that's right, awesome. Nick, but I was going to say everyone watch Nick's stuff and keep an eye out someday. Disingenuous will be uh, out. And so keep an eye out for that. Joe Kilgallen 
is in it. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, we did some we filmed some cool shit um, yeah. in Chicago. So that will be uh, you made the cut after after the after recording. I need to talk to you about that. Okay, cool. I'm glad I made the cut because to be honest with you, I was going by an alias during it. And I didn't feel like I. <laughs> I feel like I nailed it. I felt like I remember the next day being like, I got to call him up and be like, can we do some reshoots? Cause I felt like bad. I felt like a dry performance and um, I wanted better for you. You know, <laughs> you really, you really nailed it. I actually think you're the only person in that whole film that knew what they were doing. But, well, uh, thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate that. And I thank you for being on the podcast. Everyone check out, check out those sets. Nick Vatter, I type in Nick Vatter at Conan and Nick Vatter at Fallon on uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube's uh, Nick's got a lot of good comedy on. He's got albums out there. No Exit, I believe, was your first album, right? Oh yeah, I got uh, No Outlet is a sketch no show I got, and then uh, For Amusement Only is a Comedy Central album I have, and then I wrote an ebook so on how to make money uh, from your Twitter by turning your Twitter into an ebook. <laughs> Something I wrote during the pandemic and wanted to. It actually, was an episode of Get Rich Nick. We were like, "Can we make money from an ebook?" Here, I'm going to write a how to do it in in 30 easy steps and it's sort of just making fun of how stupid twitter is and it's just it's basically satirical so yeah if you got nothing but time to look into me check it out i love it all right dude you are the best thanks again everyone thanks for uh listening to the joe kilgallen podcast cheers <laughs>